0: Coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. A biblical principle would be to say that everybody's created to overcome, and when we're not overcoming, we're not, we're not winning. And that ends up getting expressed in all kinds of anger or all kinds of symptoms, depression, um, behaviors that we think something's wrong. But instead of attacking the symptom, the biblical it, thing would be to think back, well, I know this person's designed to win. They must not be winning at something. How can I help understand and help them understand what the root of this problem is? Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help lead to succeed. Fix the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights and best practices. Here's Naftali.
1: Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed episode 132. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Gary Harpst. Gary, CEO of Lead First, is known for his fusion of faith and work, fostering agile organizations. With four decades of experience, he founded three successful businesses, one of which merged and was sold to Microsoft. He has authored three books. His latest of which, Built to Beat Chaos, makes the biblical case that we are all created to overcome chaos. Gary, I'm so glad to have you on the show today. And I think I may need your services overcoming some chaos on my own front.
0: <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah. We're yeah. all we're all battling chaos every day. I, I'm sure we are, and we're definitely going to go there. But first, I'd like to
1: hear a little bit more about your story, your journey. You know, the backstory, the, the bio tells us a little bit, but there's always more, and I'd love to hear more about it.
0: Uh, sure. I, I'm a farm boy. I grew up in Northwestern Ohio and parents that came out of the Depression. So that sort of shaped my early upbringing in terms of um, what they valued and what they instilled in me. My My journey in life has always been this integration of kind of three things, the uh, technology, uh, business and and faith, and so uh, you could label my I'm I'm in my fifth decade decade of uh, being a CEO, and uh, you could label all those five decades as just one grand learning experience of those three those three strands.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. So so connect the strands a little bit more for us if you can. Um, I mean, tech and business, I get maybe even business and faith, I get. Uh, but but find the, find the common denominator, if you will, or, or how it all pieces together, at least in your in your world and your experiences.
0: Well, that journey for learning journey for me started when we first created our business. Uh, it came out of a, a, a men's Bible study, <clears throat> and we were saying, you know if if this faith thing is real, it, um, shouldn't it be in the fabric of our life, integrated, not uh, isolated or balanced, but integrated?" And um, one of my partners, who's older, said, um, "You know, a good way to test your faith and grow your faith is business because it <clears throat> it's so intense that you're you're faced with thinking about what you believe every day." So that was the beginning of the journey. It just turned out I had been trained in technology, so we started a software company, and uh, in uh, 1980. And nine months later, IBM introduced the PC. And we were in this laboratory where we had to grow like 50% a year to keep up. And so that, what that laboratory did was uh, I'm an engineer and kind of a design type person. And I'm, I'm thinking about building products, but very quickly, you're building an organization and not building a product. Mm -hmm. And when you build an organization, you're, you're working with people and then people, are different, and you get into values and what's important to people, and so this this uh, blend of all those three things—people, faith, uh, technology—all uh, came together. And we always have looked for ways to use technology to reinforce uh, good habits. You know the way our brain works. Um, we we try to things we do repetitively we can do with less effort. I remember the first time I tried to drive and your parents are saying, uh, watch for this and do this. And it's very intense and frustrating. But as you become a habit, now you drink coffee and do all these other things while you're driving. And uh, so technology is never to me an end in itself. It's just a means to facilitate human uh, effectiveness. Mm -hmm.
1: We call it, I think, unconscious competence.
0: Yeah. When you're that good.
1: So let's talk about Lead First. I don't know if you were describing that or a different company of yours. What does Lead First do and who does it serve?
0: Well, Lead First is a, first of all, it's a, a faith-driven leadership operating system. And what that means is we've we've studied um, over my decades, I've had decades of working on business processes, a couple of decades of that. And I had a couple of decades of coaching and Lead First is Now, the um, synergy that comes from both of those where we're looking at what is it a leader needs to be effective in a growing organization. And um, we put all that together in a platform. And the three things sort of in the platform are um, best practices for just being a good leader. What do you have to do to be good? And then how do you um, reinforce those with technology And then how do you apply biblical principles in the sort of the integration of faith in the way you run the business and do that in a way that has to work for people that are not of the same faith? Mm -hmm. So that's what Lead First is all about. It's sort of this laboratory of creating a platform for somebody who really wants their business to integrate faith and take really good care of people and build an excellent business all in one.
1: Okay, so I was going to ask you who's coming to you for and you 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 answered that in the last statement there. um, but let's talk through their process. So somebody comes to you, they have this interest. what is what is the service, and more importantly, what does it provide people um on the back end besides for awareness
0: the well, to to, to begin with, the most important thing to determine is where where is your head at as the owner of business? in our view, stewardship and ownership is um, a major mindset is how do you approach what you're responsible for in life, whether it's a, a parent or a marriage or a business. And so we're looking for people whose mindset is, um, I have an accountability and a responsibility to God to honor uh, him and people in life through what I do. So once we've we've got that then we work with them the first thing we do is i try to have a one on one conversation myself with the owner to say what is the purpose of your organization what 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 do you do who do you serve why do you serve them what's important to you from a values point of view once that purpose statement is crafted then we start talking to them about what are the priorities for developing your organization? What are the gaps between what you say you want and what is happening? And many times we run into CEOs that like me, this is where I was decades ago. I I was a person of faith, but my everyday energy was going to just keeping up with the growth. I mean, we were overwhelmed with business and you find you don't have time or you feel like you're not doing as good a job as you would like. Of practicing your faith or running the business in a way that honors the way you feel or what you value. And so we run into a lot of those kind of CEOs who are overwhelmed with just running the business, but they have this nagging sense that they'd like to be more integrated. And um, so the, what we have to help them do is get control of the business, You know, get make sure that they've got the basics in place of running the business And then we show them strategies for doing more of the uh, whole person care or uh, specific things that work in their particular organization to take care of people. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say most CEOs just feel like they're not doing a good enough job on that, that they're not really taking care of their people as well as they'd like to.
1: So I'm I'm interested in one other detail pertaining to what you're saying, at least for the moment. Um, In my mastermind group, we've been talking a lot about avatars and, under, you know, who is your ideal client? Where do you find them? all those kinds of things. Um, you've described that to some degree, and I think mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a picture of who that person is. But I am curious from a marketing standpoint, um, you know, I don't know if people are just coming to you or if you're doing outbound marketing as well, but assuming for the moment that you are, um, what is what is the message? And I'm, the reason I'm asking this is not so much to drill down excessively on on lead first, as much as to help everybody who's listening to understand how to get into the mindset of the people we want to serve. And in so mm-hmm. doing, you want to get into the conversations already existing within their head. So you talk about a nagging sensation that I I want to bring more faith. I want to bring more values and whatnot into my business. I don't want to just be all about the profits, let's say, but how does one go about the process of strategically communicating, this is your problem, and this is our solution, and this is how we can help. Yeah,
0: that. the um, the place we start, uh, for example, I, we've got a webinar that we're, ju- I, I'm, I was working on it this morning, revising it sort of the third version, But the title of the webinar is Five Steps for Integrating Your Faith in Your Business. And so uh, the the way we look for people uh, to put that message in front of is that they somehow have self-identified with some interest in uh, faith and business. And so we look for CEOs, owners, business owners, who are probably have about 25 people or more the reason why I say 25 is in the early stages of launching a business which we've launched I've launched several and I understand what happens in the early stages you have a very small team of people everybody does everything communication is really good and tight and unity of purpose just is a byproduct of a small team when well, you start to get to 25 and you're starting to look at one or two layer, uh, to people who have people reporting to them. And pretty soon you get to 100 and you've got three layers. And all of a sudden, the complexity of aligning people with here's our purpose, here's our values, here's our strategy becomes more challenging. So we look for people that are in that, they're they're beginning to feel the pain of leading a changing organization. And they're probably growing. So they're on the way from 25 to 50 to 100 to whatever so uh, all right, that's i hear it. that yeah the, it makes sense
1: yeah okay it makes sense so let me ask you this we talked in the bio about about chaos mm-hmm. and i think everybody everybody feels in some way i think all they would call it mayhem um my question to you is what is your definition of chaos and what are the primary causes
0: of it for the people you serve hmm. yeah my definition again is rooted in um in a, a biblical worldview. And it's interesting in the Genesis account, uh, which really lays out some really basic things about uh, what God is doing. He, he says we're created in his image and, uh, and sort of lays out this, this general idea that we should have dominion. There's different words used throughout scripture, overcoming, ruling. But the idea is that we're somehow organizing or, or bringing things into order. Well, what I find interesting in that account, about, I don't know, 25, 30 verses in, is when he first mentions that, they were created in his image. But if you stop and ask the question, what do we know about God at that point in the story? Really, all we know is what's revealed in the previous few verses. And and I'll ask people, what's the first thing God created? Most people that are familiar with the the Bible will say, well, it wasn't light or something. But if you really read carefully, the first thing he created was... uh, a form of chaos it says in the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth, and they were void and without desolate, yeah and and, toh, and so I know
1: yeah, and yeah.
0: so there's okay. a I think there's a message there that we're like him, and uh the chaos and the the unorderedness is not evil. he created it, it's a form of resource that's provided from which to bring order. And then he goes about systematically bringing order to that, separating light from dark and water from uh, land and and, uh, eventually bringing life to it. So my view of chaos and the purpose of the book is to challenge people to quit thinking about chaos as an enemy. Think about it as a set of resource from which you can apply to some purpose. Now there's, the key is, in overcoming chaos is purpose until you have purpose. You don't know what to do with anything. And God did not use all the matter in the universe by a long shot. He just used a small part to bring order to this world. So you're never going to eliminate chaos because chaos is resource. Uh, The question is what part of it do you need to pursue your purpose.
1: So let's, let's stay on that. On that last word there, actually purpose Um, I think a lot of people struggle with that because anyone who does believe that they're here on earth for a reason, as opposed to being what we might call a statistical anomaly and somehow made it here, Mm -hmm. um, believes that we were not created by accident, but that there's something deeper. Now, obviously there's a divine element to that if you believe in that direction, Mm -hmm. but fundamentally everybody wants to feel, I believe, that they're not just a random existent being but they have a real reason for existence. How how do you define purpose and how do you help people both in a secular sense what we might call just more in terms of mm-hmm. the day-to-day business elements yeah, we, but but even in the faith integration
0: the the root of that question um is we we often say what is my purpose as though it's a singular thing and if you're going to be a leader, a leadership itself, whether you're leading yourself or others, you have to get your head around this idea of what purpose is all about. And I am happen to be sitting in a stickly chair that was is handmade by some third generation, fourth generation uh, craftsmen in New York. And you could ask the person who created that chair, what's the purpose of the chair? And he he might say, or she might say, well, it's to sit on or they might say well uh i express my my skills with it this is the way i make a living and so now you've got very various different views of what this chair is it's a it, for the creator it's a source of making a living for the customer it's a source of sitting on and even the even me as a customer i bought Stickley instead of a regular chair because i can pass it down to my children so i have this oh it's not only a chair but it's an heir something i can see what I'm getting at. And so mm-hmm. people don't spend enough time really thinking about what purpose is all about. And you're, the quality of your life has to do with your ability to line your purpose with other, the purpose of others. And so um, you're trying to figure out when you go to school, what you're going to do. So there's there's an alignment with who you are, how you're made, then you get married and then you you think, well, what is our shared purpose and are those aligned and then you you go to someone and take a paycheck from them you better be committed to aligning your some part of your life to that purpose and so the quality of your life has to do with how you fit these things together and do it consciously and mm-hmm. if you believe in a creator like you do or like you mentioned then the ultimately you better have some alignment with that. If you don't, then that's fine. But if you do, you don't, you have this internal chaos. If you don't have alignment on all those levels. So kind of a long answer, but I think we try to oversimplify it. When I hear somebody say, what's my purpose? It's like, well, wait a minute. What do you mean by that?
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Fair enough. So I'm going to ask you another term that we used earlier uh, for definition and application. You talk about making a biblical case. So how do you apply the Bible to man- managing stress and chaos? I know you mentioned that the concept is rooted in the Bible, but mm-hmm. what does it mean to make a biblical case towards the outcomes that you seek to help your clients with?
0: Well, uh, the way I, I think it helps the most is to help a leader understand what their job is. <laughs> and uh, th- this may sound strange, but I'm I happen to believe that God reveals himself through creation just as much as the written word. And so when you study science and the way things are made, you're, you're understanding something deeper. And it's interesting that the universe itself is made up of 98% hydrogen and helium. <laughs> you know, it's two very small, teeny atoms. And what, what that teaches me is the complexity of the, or the, the wonder of the universe is not the raw material. It's the way the raw material is put together because most everything's made out of just a few basic things. Including me, I'm three quarters hydrogen and oxygen. So to a leader, the analogy of a leader is when when I'm building steel, I put together chemical elements that always work by the same rules. When I'm building an organization, I'm uniting people around a purpose, but those people don't obey the laws of physics. And so the Bible has great insight on how people are made up and what's important to them and how to treat them. So the, you, you need some manual in your life, whether it's the Bible or not, some way to think, uh, what's the chemistry rules for putting people together? How do how you get them to work together? And frankly, that's we've seen in human history. Tremendous progress technologically where the rules of physics apply. We've had no progress socially. I mean, basically, we don't know how to work together very well. Mm -hmm. So um, that's why I think the biblical, you need some way as a leader to have some set of principles that guide you. And uh, in my view, the Bible provides as good as I've seen.
1: So what would be a specific example of that?
0: Well, one example is when somebody's um, really hard to get along with uh, belligerent, um, a biblical principle would be to say that everybody's created to overcome, and when we're not overcoming, we're not, we're not winning, and that ends up getting expressed in all kinds of anger or all kinds of symptoms, depression, um, behaviors that we think something's wrong, but instead of attacking the symptom, the biblical, thing would be to think back, well, I know this person's designed to win, they must not be winning at something. How can I help understand and help them understand what the root of this problem is? So there's a way that a biblical principle informs your management approach got it okay so i thought it's interesting
1: i thought you were going to go the path of saying something that we learned from abraham or somebody later you know actual figures of the bible but it sounds to me that this is more about the underlying relationship with god and creation and using those elements to explain how we can make improvements
0: yeah certainly there are examples from uh, um, well like the i happen to be reading this morning Zerubbabel was was uh, charged with uh, an impossible project, rebuilding uh, a temple of the wall, and those sorts of things. And mm-hmm. and uh, in in to him, he was guided and strengthened by God, saying, "It's not by might or power; it's by my spirit." So mm-hmm. there are many examples of leaders being encouraged when you're discouraged. You know, I get worn out, tired, think I can't do it, and then then you can look at Abraham or you know individual leaders and say, "How did they get through that?" So mm-hmm. I do both.
1: That's a great perspective. Okay, so let's end the segment with the question I ask all of my guests, because with all the success you've had, we all make mistakes. And uh, it's from those mistakes that we oftentimes, you just mentioned Zerubbabel and, and the challenges that, that he had and, and how that drew him closer to awareness of God and whatnot. So um, we all, from those mistakes, can find ways, not all of us do, but typically speaking, we try to, to make improvements through those errors. So I'm just curious to you know what what mistake did you make that
0: later positioned you for greater success? I think one of the most painful and difficult lessons for me was uh, a series of um, decisions I made as a CEO in my first business that led us to the point that I had to lay off half our staff. <clears throat> and it was And it was all on me. It was a project I was unwilling to give up and I invested too much in it for too long and it was totally a mistake. And um, you know, interestingly in my prayers, I'm I'm asking God to grow our business to help pay for this mistake, you know? And uh, he instead forced me to realize I had to stop the project. And the way it got forced upon me was our business dropped suddenly. Here I am praying for an increase and it drops suddenly. Well, it dropped so much that I was forced to end that project, which I should have ended a long time ago. And out of that came a complete reorganization, a rekindling of our purpose. Uh, We had to lay off many people. It was heartbreaking. And uh, deep into that process, I came to grips with the idea that um, hard things are good for us. Uh, Ultimately, we came out of that with a much better strategy, and we grew 500% over the next five years. Mm. And but would i have chosen that course never right but I, I i've learned to trust that god knows more than i do <laughs> yeah and yeah so i finally gotten after five decades the point when things are really a mess i almost smile inside realizing there's something good going on here
1: yeah yeah i'm going to end with one 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 uh i guess commentary upon your comment before we transition uh, so I used to teach the, um, the 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 segments of of Genesis. One in particular, where Abraham and Isaac, and Abraham is 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 uh, commanded to bring Isaac up as a sacrifice, mm. which is you know such a difficult piece. Mm. And the commentators ask the question, Why does God need to test us? If he knows, if you believe that God knows what your outcome is going to be, what's the purpose of the test in the first place? You know, a mm-hmm. classroom teacher will test because they don't know necessarily how mm-hmm. their students will perform, although they should. It's a different conversation. But God definitely knows. And the answer that that is most struck me, it's from one of the biblical commentators, Nachmanides, and he says that the purpose of a test is not for God, it's for us. Mm-hmm. It's for us to be able to draw the potential that's latent within us and to, to actualize it and to bring it forth in a way that we never would have thought ourselves capable of if not for the fact that we were put through that difficulty. So I think whether it's it's that kind of test or a test of uh, a leader in his, in his work environment or at home or whatever it might be, we are tested often. The question is, how do we respond? and What is the underlying in our mind? What is the underlying intent? And if we do believe that God is putting us in position to be tested for our own growth, then despite the challenges, there is a silver lining that we could extract from it that we might not otherwise perceive. So with that, let's, let's move to a little bit of a lighter conversation, talking about the rapid fire, in which the answers are short and sweet. Let's go right to it. And the first one I have for you is uh, two of the most common obstacles to effective execution in organizations. So just a couple of things that you see that are bottlenecks or that that keep things from being more efficient and more effective?
0: Well, often purpose really isn't clear, even at the project level. People don't take the time to say, what really is the outcome I'm after? And we just skip to the project. So lack of poor poor outcomes. And the second one? Uh, The second one would be not involving people in the solution, forming the solution that are going to work on it. They know best how a lot of that stuff should happen. And so um, I may set the objectives, but I need to involve the people on the front lines in figuring out how to meet them.
1: So Gary, you've written three books, one piece of advice you would give to aspiring authors.
0: <laughs> well, be true to yourself. I, I personally believe that my, writing my book ended up being for me and it helped uh, center me And if I can do that, then I can carry the message of the book. Don't focus on the book, focus on the message.
1: Nice. What is your go-to strategy for making quick and effective decisions?
0: Well, you prepare for sudden things before they get there. And so uh, I I was talking to a man the other day who, who, he years ago wrote a book, said the most important hour and it has to do with the discipline of the time you spend to center yourself in my case it's in the word and in prayer <clears throat> and so those to me that's how you prepare for a sudden decision is before the decision gets there
1: mm-hmm. what's one thing that very few people know about northwest ohio that that that
0: they should well it's some of the best corn um, country in the in the in the us um, right. most people don't think about ohio they think about nebraska but- really
1: yeah that's true i used to live in chicago my family's out east in the in the new york new jersey area so we would ride interstate 80 quite a bit and see many many a cornfield that's for sure um if you could if you could post a message on any of those massive billboards along interstate 80 what would it be
0: well you're you're not to be a victim of chaos but to be a victor
1: Mm, love it and finally a productivity tip that helps you to get more done?
0: It's like sharpening the saw, spend more time sharpening, spend more time on purpose. Mm -hmm. If you can sharpen purpose, everything gets clear, everything.
1: Wow, nice. Okay, so Gary, how can people learn more about your work, connect with you, find you online? Where are you hanging out nowadays?
0: Yeah, leadfirst.ai, you can find me there, you can find uh, all our resources. I'm at a stage of life after five decades where I just spend most of my time talking to people. So I'm available to to talk if people want to talk. Okay.
1: Awesome. And finally, I'm going to ask you, you shared a lot. uh, One final life lesson, please, with which to end our episode.
0: Well, I would say embrace constraints. And what I mean by that, when our business was going through that terrible, terrible, problem, we ended up only having five people to put on a next generation software development project. And because there was only five, we had to think of about a new way to do it. And we ended up, that seed of only having a little resource, most people would complain about it, led to us innovating in a way we never would. And so when you face reality, what you're faced with, in that are the seeds of innovation. So embrace constraints. Love it. Gary, it's been a pleasure. Really enjoyed
1: our conversation on, on multiple levels. Excited to put this out there. Thank you so much for joining me today and for being part of Lead to Succeed Nation. Um, and uh, I hope that we'll have opportunity to connect again in the near future.
0: M- me as well. You know, you really are bringing order out of chaos, a little light into the, the darkness. So thank you so trying, much. Trying my
1: best. Thanks so much. Be well
0: now. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives the show more social proof and encourages more folks to listen.